Welcome to Press On Podcast with Mike Woodruff, where Mike and invited guests share insights to cultivate a biblical perspective and thoughtful resilience in challenging times. Welcome back to the Press On Podcast. My name is Mike Woodruff, and today I have the chance to talk with Ian Valancourt. He is a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Heritage Theological Seminary in Ontario. And he's the author of, um, well, he's the author of a previous book on the Psalms, an award-winning book, The Multifaceted Savior of Psalms 110 and 118, A Canonical Exegesis, and then more recently, The Dawning of Redemption, The Story of the Pentateuch and the Hope of the Gospel. Uh, Ian did his doctoral studies at the University of St. Michael's College in Toronto. He and his wife, Natalie, have two children. So... Dr. Valancourt, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, I first saw that you lived in Cambridge, and I did not read carefully, so I was going to ask you all about whether or not you had been at Tyndale um, College, one of my or the Tyndale Study Center, I guess, one of my <laughs> happy places. And uh, but you are not in Cambridge uh, in England; you are in Cambridge in in Ontario. So how is Ontario? Uh, well, it's where I was born and raised. Ontario, Canada. Well, there's an Ontario, California, too. So we got to... Oh, okay. I did not know that. I was thinking Ontario, Canada. I got at yeah, least... There's that, a, there's a least city in Cali called Ontario. So yeah, we're um, we're in Ontario, Canada, in the greater Toronto area. I, I live in Ancaster, like Hamilton area, about an hour from Toronto. And um, Heritage Seminary is is 45 minutes from me but it's another hour it's about an hour west of toronto yeah. um, this is where i was born and this is where i was raised um born in ontario raised in this area so it's home so yeah. I, I i don't know what else to say it's sure it's, yeah and it's and it's sort of i mean i looked it up and you're sort of like you you could you could look across uh, lake michigan and see Detroit, right? I mean, you're you're sort yeah. of down below the what people think of as the uh, the Canadian border. Um, so, yeah. yeah, we're we're an hour from Buffalo, okay, and we're three hours from D Detroit. So, okay. when we go over the border in Buffalo, waitresses ask us what the weather's like. I said we're an hour from here. And they're like, yeah, but you're in Canada. So right, right, but it changes, right? It changes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The igloos start right at the border. Right. I have a we have good friends that that live uh, well that are Canadian. And uh I've learned a lot about Canada. I mean, as an American, I'm I'm of course frequently embarrassed by the fact that you know, eight-year-olds in some other country know a lot more about the U.S. than I know about their country, and I, I'm mm. a little horrified by that. But uh, I was surprised a while ago to learn, if, if this is true, that about, you know, 70% of Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So you, yeah. you live along the southern border of Canada. Yeah, I think a lot of that's to do with climate, the way <laughs> the way the – no, seriously, the way it was settled, right? You get up north. I was born in Thunder Bay, way up north, and I think eight hours north of Minnesota, Minneapolis. Yeah, well, that sounds Bay, cold. Ontario, and it, it's cold. Uh, my brother lives there now, and it's it's cold up there. <laughs> he was born in Flin Flon, which is best I can tell is like ten people, and it's yes, it's always yeah below zero uh, in the summer. <laughs> so, well, um. So thank you for um, thank you for your book. Uh, as will quickly become clear, I'm I'm a fan in part because we agree on a lot of things, and uh, I found I just finished writing a book in which I I used we are using some of the same words to describe the Old Testament or the Pentateuch. I used Act One. Uh, for the Old Testament, trying to argue that, you know, you have to, and and you had this comment in there about, you know, you can't show up, show up late for a movie, you miss a lot of the important part, and you said, you know, if you miss the Pentateuch, you've missed the first 15 minutes, and I argue, look, if you've missed the Old Testament, you're showing up for the last three minutes of the movie, and maybe, 
I mean, maybe it's exciting because there's a lot of activity, but you really don't have any appreciation for what is going on. So I appreciated the whole idea and the approach and the use of, you know, grand narrative and all of that. That, uh, that is um, that is helpful. And it's not entirely new. I mean, uh, lots of people have used that language in, in here. We're close to Trinity um, Evangelical Divinity School. So Kevin Van Hooser has used, you know, that idea of story a lot. Um, but that was lost on me. I went to seminary in part because I didn't know what to do with the Old Testament. And, and I mean, there were other reasons that I went, but I sure was hoping that I would understand the Old Testament. And I wish I could replay the tape because I don't want to be unfair to the professor, my first, one of my first Old Testament classes. But I came away with this understanding that I should not be reading the Old Testament from a New Testament vantage point, that I needed I needed to be much more Jewish than that. I needed to let the Old Testament tell its story. And, and it wasn't until I was teaching an Old Testament survey class a few years out of seminary, and I was trying to summarize the Old Testament. I start reading these, you know, the Old Testament for dummies or, you know, children's books. I mean, when I'm looking to summarize things for people, I often go to some of these things. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like I have... <laughs> I, I have been doing this wrong. Why did I think I shouldn't be looking at the Old Testament from the vantage point of the New Testament? So, um, yeah, I guess I just I, I guess I just wanted to ask you to comment on that because uh, your idea of the um, you know the Pentateuch as being the beginning of the redemption story means you're you're seeing it through the vantage point of pointing to Jesus and and doing that without apology yeah well the the whole bible is inspired by god and inerrant old and new testament therefore when the new testament reads the old testament like like it's it's a one it's a unity so the first thing we have to say it's a unity the second thing we have to say it's a progressive revelation so wouldn't it make sense that later revelation interprets and sheds light on older revelation well, yes, in my view. And the whole Jewish thing, the New Testament authors were Jewish. I, I say amen to a Jewish reading of the Old Testament, but the New Testament authors were Jewish. Like that was their worldview. And and so uh, that that's taken into account there. And um, I, I like to say, I've heard Miles Van Pelt use language like the, the New Testament is the answer key um, for the Old Testament. It's, I would say it's not the exhaustive answer key. It doesn't say every way the Old Testament points to Christ, but it's certainly when it says this is fulfilled, dot, 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 it's the inspired inerrant answer key. And of course we need to go there. And of course we need to, maybe we need to shift our expectations a little bit, um, of what, how that fulfillment should look. Maybe the New Testament is going to kind of you, you know you you go bowling with kids and you put those gutter guards in so you always knock pins down um the new testament's kind of like those gutter guards for our interpretation of the old testament it doesn't tell us how to interpret every single verse but when it does interpret the old testament it's the gutter guards it's true and so it, it'll help us uh just a comment i can't help but comment to uh you know the whole old testament for dummies or bible for dummies stuff and uh, when I was pastor, I pastored for 14 years before I was a professor and uh, like in senior and teaching pastoral roles and, um, David Helms, big picture story Bible came out. Have you seen that? Um, I, I, I don't know that I have anyway, I really like it. And I used to, uh, hopefully none of these people are listening, but I used to say, I wish I could get every member of my church to read this book. Right without being <laughs> without right. coming across as uh demeaning like hey go home and read this children's book right <laughs> my, just... uh, my mother-in-law asked for a book you know a recommendation on the old testament you know sort of a she was in a sunday school class or whatever she just wanted sort of a high level overview of the old testament and i looked at my bookshelf and i was like 
The book I want to recommend is the Old Testament for Dummies, but that seems like not the book you tell your mother-in-law that she needs. Yeah. My mother-in-law is wonderful, by the way. She's listening. I, I I think I did eventually say, I think this is the one. And I just want you to know, I've, I've read it, and I, I am looking at these books. People figure out ways, outlines and pneumatic devices and illustrations and all these things that help these things pop. And sometimes if you do it for a, a third grader, then the adults get it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, Look, I'm I'm uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to back up here and start by asking. So you, you've written this book, and it is you know looking at redemption via the the uh, the Pentateuch, the story of the Pentateuch and hope of the gospel. So, what is the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch is just a fancy word describing the first five books of the Old Testament: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so it's a Greek word to pentas five, and I think tuk is something to do with book. But anyway, it's the first five books of the Old Testament is the is the Pentateuch. In the in the Hebrew, it was Torah, um, and so the Hebrew Old Testament is broken up into three sections, and the first section is called Torah, and it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and later when it was the Old Testament was translated into Greek. The Greek way of referring to it was Pentateuch. Okay. So let me give you a, an opportunity here to speak to the two, the, the first two objections, the first two things that I would expect to hear from an, an average person when the argument is being made um, should read the Pentateuch should focus in on the Pentateuch, should pay attention to the Pentateuch. So the first is, it's not written by Moses, uh, good grief. Um, it's not written by Moses. We don't even know that a person named Moses existed. And if he existed, uh, so much of what's being told here, the Exodus, the Exodus didn't happen. Uh, we don't, we've got no support of this. And so the first thing is that this is, you know, not written by Moses, which is one of the, you know, one of the, statements that get that is made is advanced by by uh, conservative bible scholars is that moses is the author of the pentateuch and then the second pushback would be uh oh my goodness it's just mind-numbingly boring so genesis and exodus has got some oh there's some there's a storyline there there's some interesting things uh i can i can stay engaged but anytime i say this year i'm going to read the bible i make it through Genesis and Exodus, and then I slam into Leviticus and the blood and the, the inane laws and the crazy talk. And, and then if I make it through that, then I'm in numbers and it's it's all this counting and, and Deuteronomy and they're telling me the story again. And so, so, I mean, those are two relatively common pushbacks. The, the uh, you know, the Pentateuch is not real stuff. And secondly, it's boring. So you've just written a book on the Pentateuch. How do you answer those two objections? Well, I'm going to start with the second one uh, because that's directly what my book is addressing. Um, and what I would say there is the Pentateuch is big. The Bible's huge, right? Like if we, we have these like super thin paper Bibles and ultra thin blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so it fits on our nightstand and we can throw it in our briefcase, but but in reality, the Bible's huge. Like I have that ESV six volume and it's about this big. And so the, the, the Bible's huge and the Pentateuch is, is, is large. And it's, if we accept its claims for itself, about 3,400 years old ish, um, the Pentateuch is. So of course there's a gap there. And also, um, there are many people today, a growing number of people who weren't raised with the Bible. And like I've heard D.A. Carson talk about when he used to do evangelism on university campuses, um, people under people had more understanding of the Bible, but now they don't know the Bible has two testaments. 
And if someone's willing to engage the Bible and think through it, I say, praise God. So let's meet them where they're at and, and talk. And one of my big burdens with writing this book is to provide a big picture map, roadmap to help people dig into particulars on their own. My, my goal wasn't so that people would become dependent on me and I have all the answers. So just read my book and you'll be fine. No, um, I want to equip people to dig in and um, really I'm asking the question throughout the book without using this high flute language, but what the question I'm asking throughout the book is what is the theological purpose of the creation narrative being first in the old Testament, the first thing in Genesis, what's the theological purpose of um, the garden of Eden narrative, Genesis two and three, what's the theological purpose of these, you say mind numbingly boring and you jump right to Leviticus. What about, what about genealogies? There's so many in Genesis, you know, you get to Genesis five and you start to panic. Like the whole thing is a genealogy and you get through that in Genesis 10, the whole thing in Genesis 36, the whole thing, like these are long and it's how many begats can a person possibly handle? And, and so I shaped the book in an effort to kind of ask, why are these even here? What's the purpose of them, uh, whether it's genealogy or Eden or creation or covenants and, and this kind of thing. And my idea was, okay, God's blessed me with, I was a pastor for 14 years. Um, you, you know, as a pastor, no one is getting up in the morning and saying, you know, the burning question in my mind, I hope he addresses, is this, is this a PL or a HIFIL verb? Yeah. Or, you know, they're saying, pastor, give me some hope for this week. And I pastored a church, a similar story as Tim Keller, um, you know, him in Hopewell, Virginia. I, I pastored a church and it wasn't uh, a university type crowd um, that I pastored. I, my wife and I combined had more degrees than the entire church. Hmm. And, um, but it just forced me to do all this technical Greek and Hebrew work and then say, okay, I want to boil this down and make it simple and see how this points to Christ and, and, and just doing that for years and then having the blessing of the education and doing a deep dive. And now I'm a prof and okay, I got to teach, I teach a course on the Pentateuch, all that mixed together. And I was like, okay, I, I want to boil this down to 10 chapters where people can kind of hopefully make it accessible that they can understand it. But then if they kind of grasp this kind of overarching, these key themes and this overarching storyline, I hope that people are equipped now to dig in and read. Maybe they're going to still be bored reading a genealogy or, you know, the second half of Exodus construction of the tabernacle. Like that's a lot of chapters, right? And, but I, I know why it's here now. And yes, Levitical underwear seems like, why is that even in there? But, oh, modesty compared to, you know, this kind of thing compared to the um, priests and other, you know, religions in that day. Um, so anyway, that's the second question was, um, is just that you need a big picture overview. Um, I, I heard Graham, not heard, I read Graham Goldsworthy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Gospel and Kingdom, his book. And I'm Vaughn Roberts, I, I know, I know of him, but you know, I've not read that. Yeah, and Vaughn Roberts more recently, um, he's an evangelical Anglican in Oxford, England, um, pastor, and um, he he wrote a book, um, God's Big Picture: Tracing the Storyline of the Bible, um, IVP, and um, it's a simplification of Gospel and Kingdom. But Gospel and Kingdom, my Goldsworthy, was written for lay Australian Sunday school teachers. And, but he he says, I think it was in the preface. I, I read it way back 20 years ago or more, but I believe he said in the preface, he got through seminary and his story was similar to so many that someone asked him what the Old Testament was about. And I don't know. I, I don't know how to boil it down. Right. And that kind of set him on a quest to kind of, okay, let's let's think through this so that people can understand, you know, you understand the big picture and all of a sudden you can dig in on your own so anyway when i got out of seminary again i i didn't i didn't have answers to the old testament then when i but i did you know i i had hot i had solid grades so i would i would say to people i could explain 
all these alternate theories about the exile and dating of the exile and, and, you know, all these different dates of the Exodus and, and different ideas of who the Pharaoh would be and all this stuff without any understanding of why anybody would give a rip. Like, or I didn't, I didn't know why, what, what is the Exodus and why is this a, just this profound biblical motif that's going to keep coming back up and it's going to play out in the new Testament. And why is exile something that I need to know about? I didn't know those things. And I, I wrote a letter to um, to the seminary when I got done. I was when I got done. I was three or four years into my first assignment, and I had stumbled upon a. Uh, I was digging through my notes. It was pre-internet, so I'm using lots of seminary notes, trying to figure out what am I going to preach on. I need sto- I need stories. I need insight. I have a few commentaries, not money to buy other things, and so. I'm I'm playing Johnny Hustle trying to figure out this passage, and I opened up a pastoral duties uh, or a, a paper and from my pastoral duties class it spilled out, and I picked it up and I looked at it. I got an A on it. It was how I was going to spend my time, and it was so crazy. I mean, I've got like you know doing all this textual variant work and you know all this <laughs> other stuff and. Zero. I had zero meetings down. I had zero meetings down. And you got an A. That's I got awesome. an A. And, and <laughs> By a prof who's never been a pastor. <laughs> so I wrote back. I wrote to the school and I said, "Hey, look, I'm a fan. I really loved my time there. Learned a lot. No regrets. But you got to get this down. Like, there's some big misses here. <laughs> and uh, they the uh, I sent it to the dean and the president, who I knew, um, and I got a fundraising letter back. You know, make thanks for your letter. Please consider giving to the annual fund. And yeah. it made me so mad that I published the letter in a in a magazine back at the time. I, I took out what school I was writing about, but I said an open letter to the dean and the president. Here's what I loved about my education. Here's what you did not get. Here's mm-hmm. what I did not get. And there ought to be a, a three-hour lecture for the entering students that just explains the overview of the Bible from 30,000 feet. Like, yeah. that would have been helpful. Before, yeah. I'm, before I'm studying the dating of the Exodus, I ought to understand why it matters why the exodus matters. And I, I never got that. So I appreciate somebody saying, I'm just going to take and put the cookies on the bottom shelf here. Obviously it's a flyover. Uh, You know, you gotta, there's, there's deeper work. There's more profound exegetical opportunities. There's deeper truths to learn here. Yeah, definitely. But let's start with understanding the grand narrative the the flow. Yeah, and I, I that's again in this book that I just wrote. That's what I'm. I have two chapters that I did that I put in there, and they were not dissimilar to two chapters I had in the, the previous book that I wrote. Because I'm just you know, going back to this theme, like yeah. you think you know what the Bible's about. It's not. You don't. It's not Aesop's fables. It's not this list of morality lessons disconnected. There is a storyline here, and you've mm-hmm. got to get the story. Yeah, so, I, one of the reasons I'm excited. I, I. I this book launched November 1st. So as far as a ministry year, pastors are starting to kind of know it now. Right. And I I hear stories of pastors using it with their elders. And I hear stories of small groups, church, small groups, reading it together. And that's what excites me. I I, want to get people. I want to be a small part to help people read their Bible. Well, and that just really excites me. So let me just, you say this book, launched or launches i have a copy but i don't know if it's a pre-publication copy or if i it came out last november no that yeah the dawning of redemption you're talking about yes yes yeah, that was november 1st 2022 okay yeah okay. i should this one was yesterday <laughs> i don't know if oh, you knew okay well okay i thought that that was your first book and that i was reading your second book so i actually no, no. my dissertation was first then dawning of redemption and then Treasuring the Psalms came out yesterday. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> another discussion. I thought the interview was about this book. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So, well, 
my apologies. No, I no, went, I'm great. This is I love talking about the Donovan. Okay. I'm really I yeah, I'm so I'm I'm also um you know welcome to my world. I have I had two J well I won't give the last name uh for confidentiality reasons, but I had two guys named Jason whose last names were the same. <laughs> one one was named Jason and one was named Jeff. And their last oh, names okay. were the same. And they're and on my calendar, it's just abbreviated. One of them I was talking to because uh, for other reasons, one of them I was talking to because they were coming on the podcast. They've written a book. I didn't realize I had, there were two different people oh. and I'm, I got to on my schedule and I'm cramming for, I'm trying to get this book read in advance of having a meeting. And all of a sudden I go, I'm going to my, 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 my administrative assistant. I'm like, I am really confused. It shows it's, this day but it shows it's thursday what's going on it's like there are two different people oh so two different people two meetings one person two different books i actually for whatever reason the book that was handed to me to read oh that's wonderful yeah so i will i do have some questions about the psalms but i thought your psalms book came out earlier but that was just your your phd you're saying um, the PhD dissertation, multifaceted savior of Psalms 110 and 118 was yep. November, 2019 sure. and Pentateuch was November, 2022. And this treasuring the Psalms, this is like a, uh, uh, this was August 15th, uh, 2023. That was yesterday at time, yeah. but that okay. just, uh, IVP, but anyway, Let's come back to Pentateuch. You already asked me a question I haven't answered yet, but. Right. Let's go to the, so let's go to that other question. So what do you say when people say, you know, Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. There's, there's no, uh, no, no archeological support for the Exodus, whatever, whatever they're going to say. Yeah. And there's two, there's different kinds of people that ask that, right? There's, there's the kind of person that has just kind of heard that willy nilly and then there's the kind of person that's been to a seminary that's taught them that and is well versed in it yep. or has done a PhD. I'm thinking, so there's, I'm thinking there's a, of the first. I'm thinking of somebody, I'm, I'm thinking of you know, the interactions that I'll have, which will often be I watched a National Geographic special yeah, on, okay. on, you know, Moses and he didn't exist or, or whatever they say. Yeah, I mean, it's, as soon as they say National Geographic special, I'm always like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing I might say to them, and I, I wouldn't use kind of highfalutin language like this, but that's a that's a that's a logical fallacy, a appeal to the experts, because National Geographic told me. But I, I I wouldn't use that language at the time. I I might say something just softly like, well, I know that there are scholars who believe that, but do you realize that there's scholars who are just as well educated who are who land on the conservative side of this and i find that helpful just yes for for every um valhausen julius valhausen there's a peter gentry who believes in who's an old testament scholar believes in inerrancy a premier textual critic alive today of the septuagint um understands these issues inside and out and treasures the word of God, loves the Lord, um, believes the gospel, embraces it with joy. And so that's the first thing we got to pull back from, well, I can't believe that because the experts say I shouldn't. Well, actually there, there are, you know, two, two kind of sides there. And uh, another thing I might say is, you know, when I, I did my PhD work and it was intimidating, right? Like I go in and I think, oh, it's it's going to be impossible to write a PhD seminar paper. And then I found out very quickly, it's just the next step. You know, I did the master's and now it's just the next step. I can, you know, it's not insurmountable. But as I got engaging professors and I, I, I went to a, I went to a school that's less conservative than I am, but still conservative for the university world, if that makes sense. Sure. And if I was to dis disagree with my professor, say, on whether Jonah existed, let's just say, um, I realized I, I had this kind of aha moment um, that 
sometimes our convictions on these things, they're not because of lack of brain power. They're different presuppositions that people are bringing to to the Bible. And so let's just recognize that a person that is, has a beginning point that this must be wrong. And, oh, now I see errors and there's other people and there's, there's head in the sand conservatives. I'm, I don't want to be one of those, but there are people that have done the hard work, but are coming from a faith perspective and are engaging the same things, but they have different presuppositions. So that's something just to recognize, you know, um, Another thing I I might, I might just talk about, um, I I want to affirm it's good to ask these questions and I, I don't want to sweep them under the carpet. At the same time, we need to also recognize without jettisoning that question. Okay. Let's keep that on the table, but let's recognize that the Bible itself is meant to be read as the word of God for God's people, would you be willing to just even say a simple prayer to God? Lord, I have been taught that Moses didn't exist and this is full of errors. And that makes sense to me. But if if that's wrong, would you just, would you help me bring me to understanding? And I want to read this on its own terms and I want to receive it and just pray that honest prayer. And then, you know, sit down with someone like yourself, Mike, or, you know, do a book study with some Christians and, and just soak it in that way. And okay, here's how it was meant to be heard. It was, is written by believers as it were for believers. Um, you know, it, it was during the enlightenment, the so-called enlightenment, that the interpretation of the Bible, the job of interpretation was taken out of the church's hands and put in the university's hands. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. Like there's, there's good contributions too, but there's a problem there that, you know, it, Calvin, Luther, these people were pastors, Augustine, these people were pastors and bishops and right. they were church, church people. And, um, anyway, so those are some preliminary answers I would give. And obviously you're, you're, you're journeying with someone and, uh, sure we can do a podcast and I can have some, well, someone might have snappy answers. I have some answers, but, um, but I think also the journeying with and seeing a life, you see a life changed and, you know, I, I, uh, this is this popped into my head, so I'm going to say it. We're on a one take podcast. So, but it, my family watched the quarterback, the Netflix series on the quarterback, and I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but watching Kirk Cousins, uh, the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, and just seeing as the episodes unfolded, this guy lives a compelling life. Hmm. And there's a striking difference in the way he's responding to this, uh, to the way most people would respond to this thing. Mm-hmm. And as the episodes unfolded, it became clear this guy's a, not just a Christian in name only, but he's a strong Christian. But he didn't shove that down our throats. And the way the editors did it, it was fully revealed in the last episode and or second last or something. But that along with, and, you know, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. You ask me how I know this book is true. I know what this book's revealed to me. Yeah. You can argue, you can't argue someone into the kingdom and you can't argue them into an, you know, believing that Moses existed and this is the word of God, but you can have a life before them that that's a compelling life. And you read this book every morning, Kirk. Yeah. And, you know, Anyway, well, that's I no, I appreciate that answer, and I have I have changed my um, I have changed how I answer that question. It's obvious you've been a pastor, you've been um, not just in in a um, university setting, and, and but you've been around people, and as the years have unfolded, the decades have unfolded, um, and as just in, in life, yes, my argument my arguments for whether or not we can trust the Bible. Have become less academic and a little bit more 
shaped by life and and conviction and uh, the fact that it's alive. And I say, look, it's not just that most mornings I read the Bible, some mornings the Bible reads me and you just go, oh, my goodness, um, how is this here? So. Well, I will, I will look for this Netflix on uh, quarterbacks. My dad was a Michigan State guy, so I heard uh, ad nauseum about Kirk Cousins forever and ever before he made it to the NFL. <laughs> two, and- two quick things on it, okay? Two quick things. The first is um, there are some swear words. Okay, by- well, I, 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 yes, I understand. Having been a pastor, there are things I can't recommend, even though I watch them, like – yeah, I can't recommend that. Yeah, so that's that's a danger saying that on a podcast, but there are some in-game and then the person's wife yep. has a potty mouth, um, but not during the interviews. Like, it's not just kind of a full-blown. It's during game and he's on mic and yep. he's talking to his teammates usually. Um, and the other thing, um, just admitting, I watch about one NFL game every two years. Oh, <laughs> Canadian. I, but my family now wants to get the, the zone and watch Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and well, because of that. So well, we might get the ball yet, but we're a hockey family. Yeah. Well, uh, as, as all Canadians. Yes. Yeah. And you got Connor Bedard. So that's on the Blackhawks. So that's, that'll be fun. Well, I was at one of their, uh, I was at one of the games, one of the final because uh, I know I'm, I'm not supposed to say finals uh, about the Stanley Cup, but a few years ago when the Blackhawks uh, were a much more viable enterprise, it was very fun. So uh, thank you for your answers here. Let me let me back up from sort of an academic question and ask a more of a personal one. So you've written a book that is looking at at, at Jesus at all the arrows pointing to Jesus out of the old Testament towards the new, when did you see, when did you first see Jesus in the old Testament? I mean, when did you go, Oh my goodness, Moses was actually a precursor to Jesus. And, and, you know, all these different ways I can see that, you know, the prophet, priest, and king are pointing ahead to who Jesus is going to be. And all, all these, Jesus is going to be the new temple. And Jesus is going to be all these, all these hyperlinks between yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament. When did that sort of come into focus for you? Well, it started to during my undergrad, but not necessarily because of my Old Testament classes. Um I um I had a roommate during my undergrad who um who was a youth pastor at a I, I he's baptistic I'm baptistic but at a PCA church Presbyterian Church of America downtown Toronto and he was a youth pastor there and he asked he had requested a freshman roommate so he could mentor them and um long story short he mentored me and he said why don't you come to church with me too and I'll mentor you and I did and I didn't, I'd never heard of Tim Keller before, hmm. but our, our, our church back in like late nineties was one of the early redeemer city to city church plants. And our pastor had been trained by Keller and I'd hear Keller's name. I'm like, who's this guy? My pastor has a man crush on like <laughs> no one, Keller hadn't written any books. You no one had heard of him. And later when Keller was writing everything, everything resonated. Cause like, Oh, that's what I cut my teeth on. Yeah. And even the things that I, I want to push back on that point. Oh, I, that bugged me at church too, <laughs> you know? So uh, I was heavily influenced by um, the Tim Keller approach to Old Testament without even knowing it through my pastor, Stephen Beck, and my my mentor and friend, Ryan Fullerton, who's now pastoring in Louisville. Um, so... And then Ryan introduced this, my roommate, Ryan also introduced me to the ministry of John Piper. And back then it was tapes and Piper had this pay what you can afford policy. And I would, before summer, I would just order a big box of tapes and pay what I could afford. Um, probably nowhere near covered costs. But when my wife and I met, she knew me as the guy who used to rollerblade listening to Piper on his Walkman. And, <laughs> and but just... A lot of the biographies, especially that Piper did at his pastor's conferences, but other things too. And so the Keller and the Piper influence 
um, way before Gospel Coalition, way before they were famous, as it were, um, really kind of took hold in me through my local church and through tapes and books by Piper. And then I did an internship at my church uh, downtown for a couple of years and ended up um, leaving not because of anger or, but just, I could never be ordained here. So I've got to go to Baptist church because I'm not mm -hmm. Presbyterian. But then my pastor in Toronto, Paul Martin, when I did my master's again, um, faithful, but just Christ is climax. And by this time I'd been introduced to biblical theology and this whole concept, reading Gerhardus Voss, reading, um, um, Graham Goldsworthy, reading Sidney Gray Donis. Um, I used to make up courses with profs and say, okay, can we do a reading course in this and focus here? So that was kind of my love. I loved biblical theology and Hebrew in, in seminary, my favorite mm -hmm. and historical theology too. Um, so that all kind of, that's how it all kind of snowballed for me. Yeah. Well, we are, uh, we are recording this on August 16th, so I'm not sure when it's going to drop, but in a couple weeks, we have Colin Hansen in to, who wrote the biography on Keller, uh, the new biography yeah. on Keller. And he, we have a, we've launched a, an institute. We have him coming in to speak hmm. about the book and, and do some other things for us. So I'm not sure whether or not, those who are listening to this will hear this before or after that happens. But yes, obviously. I prioritize Hanson over Malincourt myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, whether or not um, Hanson has talked about Keller, uh, yes, Keller's influence, I think we all sort of had that at some point in the last 20 years, listen to a sermon and go, oh, well, that was good. Yeah, I got to get more true. of that, and then read the book and started to say, okay, this person is helping connect some dots. And yeah, very, very. Uh, I was praying that he would get through his book on forgiveness because I uh, have sort of put that topic off. And then when I heard he was hoping to write on it, I thought, well, now nah, I'm not going to cover it until I get a chance to read him. But he did get it done. So mm -hmm. okay, so I have my final five questions that I'm going to turn to in a minute. But before I go there, I want I, I want to ask one more. Um, you're you've done not a survey of the Old Testament, but you've done a survey of the story of the Old Testament. So another objection that I hear, uh, or that I expect to hear from people, if I get them to read the Bible. Um, and, and I obviously want them to read the Bible, but I also know that when people read the Bible, they're going to go, wait, what? <laughs> What's this? This is crazy. So you get into the laws um, in Leviticus, but other places you get into the laws. And some of the laws are, they do appear to be uh, crazy stuff, or they're just stuff we don't do. Mm -hmm. Like you've got rules against, you know, mixing fabric and having polyester and you've got like, wait, 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 why is that here? And you've got, uh, you, you've got other laws about food and we don't, we don't cover those things. So as an old Testament professor, as somebody who's lived in the Pentateuch, which obviously much of the book of Exodus is going to be, you know, before, before you get to the tabernacle, you're going to have the law, you're going to have Sinai and you're going to have all of that. How do you help people understand the law, the Old Testament law, and how it gets carried forward or the parts that don't get carried forward? Yeah, so uh, a couple of prongs here. Uh, I want to ask, before I dig into all those little particulars, like a goring ox or a mixing of fabrics, which I'm guilty of right now, um, uh, but before we get into all the particulars, I want to ask what's the, again, again, this is a more highfalutin way of asking it, but what's the yep. theological purpose of this? Yep. And another way of asking it is in light of the grand story of the Bible, why did God put this here for his people? Like uh, what does this have to do with their relationship with him and their life in relationship with him? That's a more lay level way of putting the same thing. 
and and okay the a, a lot of the laws have to do with you are consecrated for Yahweh so whether it's moral or not to eat pig um or to mix fabric um that's not the question being asked um obviously new testament um you know peter rise and eat uh you know cornelius is acts 15 is it not um but he declared and jesus declared all foods clean all these kinds of things right so there's there's a change that happens now that Jesus has fulfilled it. So it, it can't be that pig is evil, um, you know, um, you know, bacon is evil or something in the morning. Um, but so what's the purpose behind it? Well, there are people consecrated for Yahweh, and they're different, and and so we can we can kind of have a principle like that that helps us to understand culturally what was going on, and also that it was. A lot of the laws were for a time until they'd been fulfilled by Christ. And then um, another, another thing we need to ask is, in light of the fact that Jesus has come to fulfill the hope of the Old Testament, how do these laws, now that they've been fulfilled, how do they apply to my life now? Do they apply because you shall not murder still applies? Well, yes, it still applies. And and so, okay, then why and not just because of my intuit. These are complicated questions on one level, right? Like this is why we have courses in the Old Testament. Well, intuitively, I know that you shall not murder still applies. And intuitively, I know that um, it's okay to have a shirt with cotton and polyester and blend. Um, that can't be morally wrong. But no, if we all, all we do is intuitive, then pretty soon we're going to intuitively say the gospel doesn't really, isn't really true. But let's, but let's really think hard about some principles and lead us there. And in the book, I talk about, um, you know, the Hebrew word that we translate law is Torah. And it's actually maybe even better translated instruction. And the idea of the Torah, the instruction, you know, starting at Exodus 19 to 23, 24 kind of thing, now that you are my redeemed people, here's how to live as my redeemed people, different and separate from and separate from those who are not my people and consecrated for me. And anyway, that's a whole hodgepodge. Uh, but those are some of the things that come to mind that I, I, those are the kinds of questions I want to deal with that we got to walk through in, in class and as a pastor you know, as you come across it, okay, let's, let's kind of learn how to read our Bibles or DA Carson talks about how to put our Bibles together. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I'm, I've got one eye on the clock here. I've got you for an hour. Um, I think I can get one more question in before we go to the final five. And that is uh, to shift to your book that came out yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> book on the Psalms. So you have, uh, this was, it seems like this was your doctoral study. Uh, we're in the Psalms. Yeah. So, you know, the North American model of the PhD, you may know you do coursework and it's kind of broad. You do comprehensive exams, broad, they want broad knowledge. And then you do a dissertation and it's a thin slice. And so the focus of my dissertation was on the Psalms. Um, and a certain focus, I, I did two different Psalms with a certain kind of focus and slant. And then the, the book that came out yesterday, Treasuring the Psalms, is more, um, if I was to want to teach a course on the Psalms, um, you know, have a textbook for a Psalms course, um, that, that's kind of this. The, the Dawning of Redemption is um, written with the the Christian who's never been to seminary in mind so, so that it's accessible for them, the person in the pew, but by God's grace, some of the feedback I've had that pastors have appreciated it. It's there's, there's, there's enough meat there that they appreciate it. And students, my students have, have benefited. They've said, maybe they're lying, hmm. but uh, this one, the treasuring the Psalms is more 
written as a textbook, but hopefully accessible enough that it um, church small groups can also study it. So, okay. but every book has a focus. Okay. So um, I have five questions and I'm just looking for top of uh, mind, short answers to these. Five I don't do short, short Mike. I, okay, I do. well. No, I'm kidding. Go yeah, ahead. I know. Uh, former pastor, yes, we have no, takes That's me right. five minutes to sneeze. I have no That's short right. <laughs> um, first question, what gives you hope? In, in a world of chaos and and angry tweets and conspiracy theories and you know fake news and all, all kinds of dissension and strife, what gives you hope as you are moving through the day? That I'm not my own, but I've been, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Redeemer Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. The Gospel of Jesus Christ gives me hope that the new heavens and new earth gives me hope. Um, it's a lot different than I hope the Leafs win the Stanley cup, which <laughs> like if we're honest with ourselves, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Um, <laughs> but I do know that Jesus went, has already won the victory. So when he, when he returns, he will, I will stand before him. And because he died for my sins, I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, and enter his rest for eternity. And I'll I'll be in the new heavens and new earth for eternity. And that's worth giving my life to. Okay. Opposite question. What, if anything, keeps you up at night? Uh, well, you mean, are you asking what... What do I if you're feel? Worried, if you if you were worried or anxious about something, and obviously we don't want to be anxious, but uh oh, yeah, if there I, are things that are that are upsetting or you're like, I am concerned about X, what would it be? Uh I don't know how to answer that except like there's immediate stuff like okay. stuff going on in life. I hate conflict. I'm con I was really comforted to hear that so did Tim Keller because he's one of my heroes and <laughs> and I hate conflict and but also I want to be I want to be act righteously in the midst of whether it's conflict or just hard conversations that are going to happen yeah. or strategy or um, this kind of thing and uh, that kind of I think through okay how should I respond to this or that and the other thing that keeps me up at night, I don't think this is where you're going, but it's just like, oh, I should really get to that. <laughs> and it's just that. Yeah. To do. Well, one of the, so one of the interesting things, I mean, I, there's no right answer to this, but one of the interesting things that I hear from people, if there's a consistent answer, it's I'm worried about my kids mm -hmm. worried about, and then it's, I'm worried about my jobs and worried about kids and marriage and worried about whatever it is they're worried about i'm worried about i'm worried about my kids or my grandkids so um so what book or podcast or movie or whatever have you recommended in the last couple of years more than anything else so on can, parenting or on anything anything you just find yourself saying Hey, you ought to you ought to get start playing pickleball or hey, you ought to see this podcast or hey, this book is I've been handing it out. I don't I'm asking, what are you what are you uh being an evangelist for other than Jesus and the gospel? Uh well, I I think maybe the book uh, it's not the only book I'd recommend, but God's Big Picture by Von Roberts. Okay. It's so good at tracing the storyline of the Bible. And it's not the only way to approach the question. He's following Graham Goldsworthy, but he's he's saying the kingdom of God is the theme of the Bible and God's people in God's place under God's rule and Robert's adds and blessing to, to Goldsworthy's definition of the kingdom of God. And he just kind of walks through the different epochs in his salvation history. And it's, it's, simple that any you know yep. most christians could read you know the older ladies at church ju that just read christian fiction understood this book i i did small groups through it so that's a broad one 
Um, and then, and in next steps in the Old Testament, um, Sandra Richter, um, The Epic of Eden. I, I read that in preparation for the Pentateuch book. And I, to my shame, I'd never heard of it. Uh, a friend got me on to it. Was she the Harvard PhD? And she's now like, a, is she out in uh, Westmont? Um, Westmont, yes. Um, yes. I, I, heard I, her I don't know what her PhD oh, yeah. was, but um, I, I'd love to meet her. She, it was just, it was one of those books that I could, it would be a next steps beyond God's big picture. Um, I wouldn't give that as a first book to somebody as a, maybe a second book, um, a little bit more, um, not yep. scholarly, but you know, yep. um, but it's simple, it's accessible, but it's so, I have a PhD in old Testament and, um, I, I learned so much from, from that book. I, I really appreciated it. So, um, I I'm trying to, yeah, anyway, so I've really appreciated that the ministry of Tim Keller though, um, just more broadly, I, I had a number of years in a row that every year I just would read on vacation, one meaty Tim Keller book, whether it's on suffering or marriage or prayer, those books, those three Keller books had a profound impact on my life personally that I just love recommending to others. Amen. Um, what is on your nightstand right now? <laughs> well, my e-ink tablet is on my nightstand. It's nice and slick, you know, nice and thin. But um, I, I'm reading, um, well, I just got off vacation. So I've been reading the short stories of Norman MacLean. Okay. Um, wrote a, a River Runs Through It. Yep. Robert and Redford. 13 Men in Fire. Have you read that? No, I haven't. Is that Norman McLean? Yeah, he didn't finish it. He died oh, okay. before he finished it, but it's about the the one some of the first uh paratrooping firefighters. Hmm. And it is a fascinating story. And when these fires in Maui hit, it it reminded me of it because they spoke in in Maui of, the, of there being like a tornado fire, cyclone fire, and and in the book I won't give too much away for people who want to read it. They they re, he recreates what happened. They dropped a bunch of uh, paratroopers on a mountain, and they're supposed to then make their way to the next mountain to fight the fire. The winds change and the leader is lead, he turns them a couple times and then pretty soon they're running. He's trying to get them out of harm's way. Mm -hmm. and he will, they start to run up the mountain. And at some point he says, drop your packs. And he's in better shape and he runs to the front. He realizes he will make it, but that not all of them will. And so he lights a backfire. Nobody had ever lit in a backfire before. Nobody knew what he was doing. And he ran into it and he said, follow me. Nobody did. Two or three of the men made it over the top of the mountain. The other seven or eight don't. And they, they die there. And this, this paratrooper, the leader, is charged with murder for, for not protecting his men. He's found innocent. But it that's not the whole story. And it's a fascinating story. So Norman McLean, River Runs Through It, but also 13 Men in a Fire, I believe is what it's called. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. You, you uh, would, do, you want, do you want the other ones I'm reading? Yes, I'm sorry. I, 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 I hijacked the question. No, I yeah. ask a question. That's a really interesting question, actually. I just asked. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so Lucy Austin's biography of Elizabeth Elliot. Just okay. Crossway. I'm about uh, almost halfway through that, and um, also reading. Um, I started reading Colin Hansen's biography of Keller. I've read the the free Kindle sample. I'm waiting to pull the trigger on the seventeen dollar Canadian charge for the Kindle, but uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I'm reading Hill and Walton's fourth edition to their survey of the Old Testament. Um, I'm reading. Yeah, I'm I'm reading a bunch of yep. works. So yep. yeah. Oh uh Roger Beckwith, the Old Testament canon of the New Testament church. I'm reading that too, <laughs> but that's more technical. Yeah, I, I've not 
I've not read any Beckwith. I'm I'm familiar. I see the name, but I've not read it. I'll I'll leave you you Old Testament PhD guys to wrestle with that. Last question. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on next? So you just came uh, out of the book, and you obviously probably at work on the next one. Yeah, I've got. I I this is not under contract, uh, but I, I'm working on one on the Old Testament historical books, uh, a similar yeah. kind of writing style as the Pentateuch. And I, I've written about the first draft of about half of it. Okay. I, I worked on that this spring. And um, I'm, I've also got a couple of commentaries on Samuel, a two-volume commentary on Samuel, the Pillar Old Testament commentary series. Okay. Um, they've the, the, the New Testament's been out for a while, and now they've opened up the Old Testament, and I'm writing those. So... Uh, I've got one more that I've been asked to do that I won't mention because it's not under contract yet, but okay. uh, another commentary there too. So okay. great. Well, um, Ian, thank you so much for your work and for your time. And uh, so I will, uh, I, I won't ask how sales on your songs book are going since it's only been out for 24 hours. So, uh, but you can go and order 10,000 copies if you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. that would really boost sales you know yes that would boost sales yes no, i'm kidding well no, I'm um kidding. uh again thank you for your work and uh, appreciate meeting professors who have been pastors that's that is a it helps a lot those of us that are pastors to see uh men and women who are serving in uh in the academy who have a real firsthand knowledge of the kinds of issues and challenges and uh questions that are being that that are that make up our day so well it's a it's a pleasure to be here thanks a lot god bless you and uh we'll look forward to talking when your next book comes out okay thank you okay thank you okay